0: welcome to practical christian living and god proclaimed that they would become a nation again it was so far-fetched that theologians would look at it and go it must mean something else it must be allegorical it must be a metaphor that god can't really be talking about the rebirth of the nation of israel
1: Today on Practical Christian Living, we bring you more of a powerful and exciting mini-series based on the rebirth of the nation of Israel and how God foretold exactly what would happen in Scripture. This is perhaps the most powerful piece of prophecy we have to confirm not only that Scripture is proven and true, but also that we are in fact living in the last days and waiting expectantly for Jesus to come back. Now open up to the book of Ezekiel. Here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson.
0: Chapter 36. We're going to cover Ezekiel 36 and 37 tonight. We are not going to read both entire chapters, so I'll encourage you to do that on your own. I think especially after we hit some of the highlights today, diving in, it'll give you some to look at and see if you can't find some other things to really pour into and to be able to take out of these two chapters. But they are absolutely phenomenal chapters that talk about the rebirth of the nation of Israel and that God foretold them during the days of Ezekiel, which is 25 Hundred years ago 2600 years ago and god foretold the days that we are living in i had said last week we are the first generation since 70 a.d to have the nation of israel we are also the first generation since 70 a.d to have jerusalem under israeli control all of these things are important we'll talk a lot more about them in just a few minutes we are also taking a break from the book of hebrews We are in the middle of chapter six, when this latest conflict broke out in Israel. And I thought, no time like the present. I've been wanting to do some stuff on the nation of Israel, especially what I'm going to be doing tonight. This information is, I think it's just absolutely phenomenal. And I encourage you to take some notes. Uh, There's going to be a few passages that you're going to want to refer back to. You're going to want to be able to go back and look at yourself. And so you can do that on your phone, right? You can open up, I'm sure. I have an iPhone which has a a notes app on it. You you can open that up. You can be ready to take some notes on that. You can also text while I think you're taking notes. I think, wow, that really into the study. They're taking tons of notes You text instead. People behind you will know. Just again, an encouragement to do that on a regular basis. Maybe get an old-fashioned Bible that you can mark up and underline and have speak to you that you can read and learn. There are some positives to that than just using, you know, a a Bible on your phone. Again, I'm not against it. We're not making rules. I'm just encouraging you. I think it's helpful to be able to do those to really pour in, especially with some stuff that you really need to study about like today. All right. So with that said, we're going to talk about God's prophetic time clock his foretelling of the nation of Israel and that leads up to a final war with Israel and the surrounding nations. We'll talk all about that tonight. Let's pray and we'll begin. Father, we want to thank you for your word, the richness that we find there. We want to thank you that in Proverbs 12, 6 and 7, you said that your word is like refined silver and that you will preserve it from generation to generation. We also remember that you said you are God and there is none like you. That you are God who tells that which is from the beginning and tells that which happens before it happens. And we see that clearly in our text today. And Lord, I pray that we would be excited about what we find in this, even though we, we look with a little bit of trepidation and fear for the nation of Israel, for the surrounding countries, for the Palestinians, Lord, we pray that you would somehow move in the midst of this. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. I was asked a question recently why I believed that what I believe about Christianity is true over other religions. My answer was prophecy, that the Bible is a unique book that is like any other. And it tells things that happen before they happen. The great example of that is the nation of Israel. It was not a nation for almost 2,000 years. Let's call it 1900 years. For 1900 years, it was not a nation. And God proclaimed that they would become a nation again. It was so far fetched that theologians would look at it and go, it must mean something else. It must be allegorical, it must be a metaphor that God can't really be talking about the rebirth of the nation of Israel. And there are still people today that have seen it happen, seen the way that it came to happen, but they stick to the replacement theology that says that God's going to fulfill all of the promises to Israel to the church. God is going to fulfill all of his promises to Israel because Israel is there to receive those promises. And we'll talk more about it as we get into it. These chapters are absolutely phenomenal chapters, and I'll encourage you once again that I'm not going to read every verse in all of these chapters. Uh, There's two chapters, and it would take a long time to do that, but I, I encourage you to read them later on. Read them with a Bible in your hand, read them with a a pencil or a highlighter that you can highlight and underline the things that are said. And there may be some things that I don't cover tonight that jump off of the page at you. It's all very important, not just the stuff that I am covering today. And before we get started and I'm gonna give you, I've got eight things coming out of these four chapters and I really doubt I'm gonna get to all eight tonight. I guess there's an outside chance that that'll happen. But I kind of doubt it. So I'm ready to do this in two different weeks. And with what's taking place with the conflict in Israel today, and we see responses from nations around the world, especially nations that are mentioned in Ezekiel 38 as going against Israel, this becomes particularly interesting to us. But before we do that, I want to talk a moment about setting dates about for the return of Jesus Christ. Because it's very dangerous. And people have done it a lot there was a date set in the 1800s 1840 something there was a date set in 1914 there was a date set a while back with harold camping you guys remember that there was a date set with the Shemitah and the blood moons you guys remember that there was a date set in 1981 there was a date set in 1988 there was a date set in 1989 these are ones i'm just remembering off the top of my head Every so often there are dates set. Well, there are new date setters that are on the scene right now. One of them is tracking an asteroid that a while ago, scientists said, had a possibility of hitting the earth in 2025. And so they identified that as Wormwood and they've got Jesus coming back in 2028. They've got the date set. And these are the guys that believe that it's going to be September because Jesus... Um, died and was resurrected on feasts uh, for Israel in fact he, there are four feasts connected to his arrest and death and then there's three more feasts that are left and I do believe that you you don't have those exact fulfillments on those exact days and not have Jesus fulfill something on those other feasts so the feast of the trumpets they say well Jesus returns with the trumpet and the voice of an archangel it's got to be the feast of the trumpet so Jesus has to come back in September. Mm. But what if he doesn't? What if he's going to fulfill something else on that day? What if God's got a different plan? It's really easy to see fulfillment when you look backwards. But when you look forward, it's really easy to make a mistake. You think you've got it figured out, but you don't have it figured out. By the way, now scientists tell us that that asteroid is not even going to come close to the earth in um in 2025 at first they were saying it's going to be such a close flyby that the very least it's going to do is take out a few of our satellites now they're saying you know they're remapping it and it's not even going to come close which is which is a praise the lord by the way however sometimes sometimes asteroids come out of nowhere sometimes there's a flyby and we don't know about it until an asteroid came close to the earth and so we don't know that's the point we don't know Don't set the date for the return of Jesus Christ on an asteroid. (laughs) Now, Jesus also said in Luke 21, take a lesson from the fig tree and all the trees. That from the going forth of the budding of the leaves, you know summer is near. And so the generation that sees all of these things will not pass away until... You think about what, it, what, what the statement was. Will not pass away until these things are fulfilled. I believe that was the statement. You, you can look it up yourself. But it's basically saying the generation that sees those things budding forth is going to be the generation that's going to be alive. So then there was the argument. I talked a little bit about this last Wednesday night. A 40-year generation, an 80-year generation, right? A 100-year generation, a 120-year generation. These generations are all, are, are all arguments that are out there. So if Israel became a nation and that's the budding of the fig tree, which I'm not sure it is, because he didn't say just the fig tree, he said all the tree. And so people say, well, then Israel is always a fig tree in the Bible. I don't know that it is, again, by the way. And so Jesus is going to come back, even if you say a person who was born and alive in 1948 when Israel became a nation, and they'll be alive when Jesus returns, that's about 120 years or so, that would put it at 2068, if I'm doing my math right which I'm not really good at math, so I might not be. But maybe Jesus meant when you see Israel become trampled underfoot by the Gentiles. That's what he's talking about there. So maybe it's a date that starts from 67 and not 48. And you would add 120 years to that. You do the math. Maybe he was talking about after the Gog and Magog War when Israel takes full control of, of Israel and that's still in our future. And not even close. So I just have a warning to be careful when you set dates. I'm seeing a lot of it out there now. You're going to hear more and more of it. Jesus could come back in any moment. And because of that, we need to get ready, right? We need to get ready and we need to stay ready. Now, in Ezekiel 36, 37, and 38, we're told that these events are happening during the last days. And so the first thing I want to do is start in Ezekiel 38. And I want to read verses 7 and 8 to you, pointing out where it talks about the last days there. And then I want to read verse 16, talking about something slightly different. So here's what it says. It says, and this is talking to the land of Israel still. This whole prophecy is to the mountains of Israel. Prepare yourself and be ready. You and all of your companions. Actually, this is talking to Israel. The land is in 36, all right? So correction. Prepare yourselves and be ready you and all your companions, they are gathered about you and be on guard for them. After many days, you will be visited. In the latter years, you will come into the land of those who brought you back with the sword and gathered you from the people on the mountains of Israel. So it says, in the latter years, you will be gathered together back into the land of Israel. So we know that Israel is a nation today. Israel was gathered in 1948. There are some six and a half million Jews, 14 million Jews worldwide. That number may have ticked up some since the last time I looked at the numbers. But 14 million Jews worldwide, which is so few. I don't know if we understand how few that is. Because they have been persecuted so greatly. They were persecuted in Russia. They were persecuted in Europe. They were persecuted in Poland. They were killed by the millions in all of these different places. And in the latter years, God says, I will bring them back into the land. And so when people say to me today, are we living in the last days? I say, yes, for sure we're living in the latter years. That's what it says. It goes on then to say, which had long been desolated and the land of Israel, it had been foretold that it would lie desolate. This is Ezekiel writing 2,500 years ago. And he wrote that the land of Israel would be desolate. We'll talk about how it got that way in a moment. And they brought out the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. Now, the question is, is Israel dwelling safely? For the last 73 years, they just celebrated an anniversary, and not always. Sometimes, yes. I've been in Israel, it's somewhere around 14 times. I've lost count now how many times I've been there. Over a dozen times I've been to Israel. And I can tell you it feels very much like the United States when you're there. Even when a conflict is taking place, you walk the streets and you're like, I'm I'm watching the news and it seems like it's all chaos. I'm not saying there's not chaos there now. I'm just telling you my experience and that these people live their lives and there is a relative safety that is taking place there. It's tenuous and we know it's tenuous because this prophecy even tells us that, okay? Okay. So then in Ezekiel thirty-six sixteen, it says something a little bit different. It says to, now this is to Gog and Magog, okay? This is to the, the armies that are going to come against Israel, which we'll talk about who they are next week. You will come up against my people, Israel, like a cloud, and cover the land, and it will be in the latter days, and I will bring you against my land, so that the nations may know me when I am hallowed in you, O Gog, before their eyes. So if you notice, this passage went from the latter years to the latter days. When the Gog and Magog war takes place, we are then in the latter days. When Israel came back into the land, we we are in the latter years. And if we were in the latter years when Israel came back into the land, that was 73 years ago. So we are that much closer to the end now. Now, the second thing that I notice is that there was a promise to the land of Israel in chapter 36. I told you that Israel had been devastated, that it was desolated. It was conquered over and over and over again. The British Empire was the last empire before it was given over to Israel who had conquered it. The Ottoman Empire was in control of Israel for 400 years. Their goal was to desolate it, they cut down trees. They, they salted the land where there were fields that looked like they were good. They salted them. That was a way to make a land unable to produce for decades. If you salt land, they had done that. They had looked to destroy it. So much so that in 1867, Mark Twain visited the Holy Land. And here's a quote, maybe you've heard this before, but here's his quote. He describes what was called then Palestine. Remember it's called Palestine because the Jews called it Palestine. And he says this, a desolate country whose soil is rich enough, but is given over wholly to weeds, a silent, mournful expanse, a desolation. We never saw a human being on the route, hardly a tree or a shrub anywhere, even the olive trees and the cactus, those fast friends of worthless soils. What a good writer, right? Those fast friends of worthless soils had almost deserted the country. We know that when the Zionist movement started, that one of the things that started was a desire to plant trees. And they did some research on what kind of trees could break up soil and make soil receptive again. And so they planted them. And if you went to Israel in the 70s or the 80s, I went there the first time in 1988, there were still people in the airport selling trees. I've also been in forests in Israel that are built on grids, like for whatever reason in the 60s and 70s, maybe before that, probably before that, they planted them in rows. So you're walking in a forest and you're like, this is just weird. You're just looking down. Every way you look, there's rows of trees. The newer forests that are planted were planted randomly, which is how they should have planted all of the forests because they needed to be random but understanding that God said that the land would be desolate and it became desolate. It would be very easy for God's word not to be true had the land of Israel never became desolate. And so we pick up Ezekiel 36 and we pick it up in verse one. I wanna read first of all, the first eight verses, and this is talking to the land of Israel, God's promise, God's oath to the land of Israel. And you son of man, Ezekiel is called the son of man, Jesus also referred to himself as the son of man. And there is a kind of a connection there. We'll talk about that at some other time. A little teaser there. But you, son of man, prophesy to the mountains of Israel. By the way, Ezekiel was alive when Israel was taken captive into Babylon. That's a long time ago. But you, son of man, prophesy to the mountains of Israel. O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God. Because the enemy has said of you, aha, the ancient heights have become our possession. Therefore prophesy (laughs) prophesy," and say, thus says the Lord God, because they made you desolate and swallowed you up on every side so that you became the possession of the rest of the nations and you are taken up by the lips of the talker and slanderer by the people, Therefore, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains, the hills, the rivers, the valleys, the desolate wastes, and the cities that have been forsaken, which became plunder and mockery to the rest of the nations around you. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, surely I have spoken in my burning jealousy against the rest of the nations and against all of Edom. Edom is the descendants of Esau, the brother of Jacob. Their land was south of the Dead Sea. That's where their land was. They were around when Ezekiel wrote this. I think that the Edomites are still around today among the Arab people. The Arab people would be the descendants of Ishmael, of Edom, and a few other people groups we find in the Bible. We'll talk about that at some other time. But he says, all the rest of the nations against Edom, who gave my land to themselves as a possession. Now, this is important. We get the identification of who says that the land is their possession. We know at least it is the Edomites, that they gave themselves the land as a possession. And and I'll tell you why that's important in a moment, okay? So, um, who gave themselves the land as a possession with wholehearted joy and spiteful minds in order to plunder its open country. Therefore prophesy concerning the land of Israel and say to the mountains, the hills, the rivers, the valleys. Thus says the Lord God, because I have spoken in my jealousy, my fury, because you have borne the shame of the nations. Therefore, says the Lord God, I have raised my hand in an oath. And surely the nations that are all around you shall bear their own shame. But you, O mountains of Israel, you shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people Israel, for they are about to come. This is God prophesying to Israel. We'll call it in the 1800s. D.L. Moody made a trip to Israel as well. Later on, he used the city of Jerusalem as an analogy. He was talking about heaven. He wrote a book called Heaven. And he used the analogy of how desolate Jerusalem was in 1850. And today... It's an incredible, bustling city. Israel today is a major exporter of produce. It's a little less than half the size of Arizona and is a major exporter of produce. It is a world leader in technology. It produces 95% of its own food and it is rich in natural gas. That's just like a little subsurface of what Israel is like today. It truly does lead the world in technologies. It really does. And it is incredibly fruitful. When we take people over to Israel, and those of you that have been there with us, you know that we go up on top of Mount Carmel. And we talk about Elijah and the prophets of Baal and his showdown with them. But before we do that, we climb up on a church where you can look from the top, you can see the whole Jezreel Valley. And then I'll kind of stand With my back to the jezreel valley and get people in around me and say take a look down below you what do you see and for as far as the eye can see you see farmed land just spots of land that has been farmed and produced as far as you can see by the way the jezreel valley is what we call the valley of armageddon there's the mountain of Megiddo that is right by it but it is fruitful to this very day You can see it with your own eyes that God has promised this land that was desolate. When the Zionist movement began, there were Arabs that owned great portions of the land. They began to sell it to Jewish people who drained swamps, who did work to make it as fruitful as they possibly could. And these promises that God made to the land were literally fulfilled.
1: Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you. And His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses, our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco, meets saturdays at 6 p.m and sundays at 9 45 a.m our west campus south of palo verde and i-10 meets sunday mornings at 8 30 and 11 a.m our midweek service times are wednesday evening at 6 p.m at our east campus and 7 15 p.m at our west campus if you prefer you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org